Amen. Just a quick uh, springboard off of last week. The passage that we ended with was in Isaiah chapter 66. And I won't read all of it, but the first two verses say, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What an amazing picture again, thinking how great our God is. That if all that we can imagine in the earth, in the sky, in the, in the space, everything that science is doing to try to figure out where the origins began and how many light years away the stars are and galaxies and all these different things, the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He stretches it out in the palm of his hands. Where, he says, where is the house that you will build me? With almost a rhetorical sense of saying, what could you actually do that will impress me? <laughs> I've created it all, but at the very same time, I want you to create space for me. And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, this person, this individual, here in Fire Church this morning, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. We need the word of God to come alive in our lives. I believe this really is the word for the hour, that we need more fear in the church. Fear of God. Not being scared of him, but so in love with him that we love what he loves, we hate what he hates, that we don't want to do anything that would cause him to look away, but that we would stay completely in that gaze of his. That we would get into his word, not just so that we're puffed up people with knowledge, but we would get into his word so that we could learn who he is and learn about his character because he wants to dwell with us. If you get into his word, yeah, you recognize there's things that need to really radically change inside of your heart. But then you keep on reading and you recognize that history tells us man cannot do it under his own ability or his own strength. He needs the God of heaven to come in and to conquer sin. He, we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He calls all those that are far off to come in. And you continue reading, and it doesn't just leave us in a place of being justified into a relationship, but he calls us into this sanctification process. Big words, right? But basically just saying, hey, we came out of the place where we couldn't dwell with him, that we were on our way to hell without God, fully deserving of it, to a place where now we can be in relationship with him, and because of that, we have responsibility. We have a responsibility to earnestly love him, to give him our affections, to fear him, to allow what has been done on the inside to work its way out through the outside. That's the process of sanctification. You're justified, your spirit's saved, but then all of a sudden you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All of a sudden you've got to purify yourself because he is holy. Not that we can do it. Again, all of this can only be done because it was good that he went away. 
so that the Holy Spirit could come. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the teacher, the one that brings us the conviction, the one that allows us to be led every single day of our lives, the one that allows us to even read this word with any sense of understanding. He illuminates it. And so we come with all of that in mind, and I want us to think about this morning, where is our devotion? Where is our hunger? I know this, <laughs> don't let your minds go just strictly into the fast. If it applies, it applies. I'm not saying totally scratch it out. But many times I've come to you before, and I, many times I've analyzed my own life to ask myself, what am I focusing on? Where is my passion? Where is my love for God? Is it the best it's ever been? Is it somewhere forgotten? Is it here one day, gone the next? Is it a roller coaster ride? What is it? What is it? Even in the natural, when we look at sickness, when we look to see if somebody is not doing well, what is one of the telltale signs that they are sick? They lose their appetite, right? If you get the flu, you're going to be down and out. You don't want to eat or drink anything, even though you probably should be drinking some fluids and that kind of stuff. People that receive cancer, you know, oftentimes they lose many, many pounds of weight as they go through different treatment and different things prior to being healed or not. You think through these things. But a healthy person has a healthy appetite, right? A healthy person has a healthy appetite. Having hunger for the Lord is essential for every single believer. And I want to just qualify this quickly to say that I'm not talking about hungering and thirsting for what God can do for you. I'm not talking about hungering and thirsting for what he can do to bless me, what he can do to bless you, for what the gift giver can give. I'm talking about hungering simply for him. Again, that's the focus of our fast. If we focus on what the fast can do, if we focus strictly on I need greater anointing, even though that can be a part of it, that's one of the biblical reasons. We know what happens as we surrender to him. But if that's our only aim, I don't believe we'll get that anointing because it's about him. It's about him. I look forward to the day when every single person that I'm looking at across this room goes into the room at work, like Georgette was saying, and the atmosphere has changed. That we carry a presence because we've been in the presence of Jesus. We don't have to reach back a couple weeks to say, I remember something the Lord gave me, that word that I was doing on that time of worship that I had in my car. I don't have to go back two years to that encounter I had where I was, I was knocked on the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit, vibrating under the presence of God. I don't have to go to some, some crazy experience or dream to, to, to think of the last time I was in the presence of the Lord, I can simply say, I've been with him all this time. We, I carry his presence, and I desire to bring him wherever I go. I desire to see 
a testimony every day of you guys going into your places of work and the atmosphere changing because the presence you bring is greater than the presence that is there. Let me put it this way so you can understand what I'm trying to say. Jesus was able to eat with sinners not because he simply had compassion for them, but because the glory that was in him was greater than the sin that was in the sinner's life. Some of us can't say we can enter the room and that will take place because we've got our own issues. I'm not saying we need to be a legalistic bunch of all this stuff, you know, saying that we've, we've done all these things. I'm just talking about having a relationship with the Lord, having a hunger and a passion for his presence. A hunger and a passion for there to be people seeing and experiencing the living God. Because he's too good not to share. The reason Jesus could do what he did is because he dominated the atmosphere. How did that happen? Well, he got commissioned. He got sent into a wilderness, right? We talked about it a little bit last week. Forty days he went... He was tempted. His identity was challenged. We won't have to revisit all of that. But what does it say at the end in Luke 4? He walked out of that place with the Holy Spirit and power. And power. He came out of that place of prayer and fasting, devotion. If Jesus had to do it, how much more do we need to do it, friends? How much more do we need to allow our flesh to be crucified? Because we love it too much. <laughs> but he was able to come out in power. And he would consistently dwell with the Lord. Constantly going away to be in the place of secrecy with the Lord. He would leave the disciples for a moment and leave early in the morning. And he would find a solitary place to pray. You know the scriptures. While it was still dark, he would do it. Some of us say, oh God, do I really have to do it? <laughs> do I really have to get up early? Maybe. I venture to say yes. I'm not going to give you a, a decree, but if the Holy Spirit's speaking right now, maybe you need to adjust your schedule. Am I saying that getting up at 4 in the morning if you have to be at work at, at 7 or something like that, you know, is going to make you a holy saint? I'm not saying that at all. Because there's many people that I know that have done a religious activity of prayer and, and fasting and all kinds of things, not for any benefit whatsoever. And in fact, causing more harm to the body than, than good because drawing attention to themselves is the result instead of drawing attention to Jesus. This is your verse for today. James chapter 4, verse 8. How many you have this memorized? Very simple verse. I'm only going to make you memorize the first half of it. You probably need the rest as well. But it's draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We can read the rest of that so you understand. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's a lot of richness within that, and receive it as needed. But the promise is in this first part of this verse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Many of you are waiting for God to come and find you when he's already done everything for your salvation, for you to enter into his presence. Jesus made the way for us. 
He tore the veil so that literally you could enter into his presence. Now, if we were born 3,000 years ago, we may have a different thing that we could say. But because we're alive right now, it's a praise God moment. But guess what? There's accountability and responsibility with the fact that we know that Jesus' blood was shed for our sins. And that he entered into that presence and, and tore the veil so that we could, we could dwell with him. We could fellowship with him. So what am I saying? The first part of this verse is our command. We move first. It's not God's move. It's our move. How much God do you want? How much of his presence do you want? How much of Jesus do you really want this morning? This is what I mean when I say, are you hungry? Do you have a healthy appetite? How much of Jesus can you hold? Can you contain without bursting? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's our, it's our call. Say that with me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We determine the level of our intimacy. We determine the vibrancy of the relationship. We determine the amount of fellowship and communion and not God. But I need you to see some things, even though I, told, I mentioned to you, we're not going to stray from the word. We have to stay in the word in order to develop this passion for him. God's character is all throughout this book. He's more passionate about us than we are about him. That is a fact. In Exodus 34, 14, you don't necessarily need to turn there. If they can put it up on the screen, praise God. He says, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. How many of you have stumbled and have had trouble over this verse? One of the commands that the Lord had, had given in the Ten Commandments, but this is in this is in the chapter where the Lord's surmising some things for, for Moses, and he breaks it down a little bit. And he says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In the Hebrew, that word jealous is kanah. Kanah. It means only of God or bearing no rival. It contains with it the connotation that there's the severe avenger of departure from himself. God's not a petty God. God is a jealous God with a holy jealousy. The nature of his character is to desire fellowship with his creation. He's created us for that divine fellowship, and he knows that he is the only true God. He's made it to where people can choose to serve and make gods and idols of whomever and whatever they please. That does not mean that it is not within his heart, in his makeup, in his character, to absolutely hate those that have other gods before him. Any idols, anything else. He knows beyond a shadow of doubt that there is no rival. And so because of that, his jealousy for us 
is that we would walk in communion with the one to where there is no rival. He knows it is for our good. He knows it is for our benefit. He knows it is his purpose and his divine design. The Amplified says it this way, For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous, impassioned God, demanding what is rightfully and uniquely his. You are his. You are uniquely and rightfully his. Bought with a price. Think about God's passion towards us. Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. If I were to talk about all the things, all, all of the wonderful works that God has done, if we were to all go around and pass this mic and testify this morning, we wouldn't be able to cease talking about the goodness of God. How many thoughts? David goes on to say in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, you can look at it later, if I were to number your thoughts, they would be more than every grain of sand on this globe, on this earth. More the sand on the seashore, more on the sand underneath it, the sand under our feet today, every, every beach, every, every golf course, every, every sandbox, every grain of sand, it would be more than all of those granules this morning too many to count God also gave Jeremiah 29 11 how many of you know that verse maybe it's something that greatly encourages you for I know the plans that I have towards you says the Lord right plans to prosper you to give you a hope and a future we love quoting that but the context of that is Jeremiah is speaking that out of the character and heart of God to a disobedient people. He's not declaring this to a people that are passionate and hungry for him, that have an appetite for him. But the goodness of God, the character of God, brings forth these declarations in such a way that he always comes in grace and mercy. This is the God that we serve this morning. How can we not desire to love him? God communicates his character through his word. Exodus chapter 3. I don't know if we'll turn the, well, I'll read some of it. God's communicating with Moses while he's tending sheep on the backside of the desert. I referenced this last week, but I just want to highlight something. Has the Lord ever caught you off guard? Have you ever been going your way and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you? Hopefully he has. <laughs> He's pretty good at it. I welcome it. Hopefully you do too. But Moses, we know what's happened. He's on the backside of the desert, so that means he's already been there for some time. Not even tending his own sheep. He's tendering his, tending his father-in-law's sheep. He's been humbled greatly from where he was. He's no longer in the palace, even though God provided for him to be there. Verse 1 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. How many of you want to see something like that? Hey, it's okay. 
So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, and this is important, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does the bush burn? You could say to me all you want that, of course, he looked because every time you're driving down the highway and there's an ambulance or a fire truck on the side of the road, everybody slows down and looks, right? If there's something to be seen, we're going to gooseneck it and try to find out what's going on. Even if you've got somewhere to be, even if you are late, you're going to stop and you're going to look. Even the best of us. I love hearing those that say, oh, I don't do that. <laughs> I just keep on going, but they're <laughs> same thing. We're creatures of habit. We're, 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 ver we're very similar. <laughs> so you could say all you want to me that simply Moses was acting in that way, but I believe Moses could have continued on. He made a choice to turn aside, and the way in which he did was very significant, and it's significant to all of us this morning. Verse 4 says, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And then he said, Here I am. And the, the, the verses continue. Great story. And ch challenge you and encourage you to continue reading. But the emphasis I want to put on is that turn aside. He turned aside from what he was doing, he shifted his focus. He shifted his perspective, and at that moment, as he was drawing near to God, not even knowing that it was God at the moment, God drew near to him. He did, God didn't speak until after he turned aside. God wasn't saying from the bush, Moses, Moses, come over here. Moses, I'm the one in the burning bush. He was just in the burning bush. So yet again, we see the character of God drawing his vessel to him. But when he did, what does God do? He comes forth, come full, come, comes in in full force. He says, Moses, take off your sandals because the ground that you're walking on is too holy for you to be able to withstand what you're about to come into. Of course, he didn't jump into that flame. <laughs> How could he? But just the imagery here, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a jealous God who is very severe and intense concerning his love and his passion for his creation. That he, there is no rival to him. Thank God in some measure, in some others, you wonder that there's so much grace in this dispensation that that, that we, don't, we don't die in his presence right now. But I venture to say that we haven't drawn close enough to be able to see the hallowedness of his glory, the holiness of his presence, even though I really long to see it in my prayer, is that that would be all of our hearts collectively as a body, that every time we come together, we're not coming to see what we can get, but we're coming to see how much we can entertain the Lord, our maker, how much we can give glory unto King Jesus and see what he wants to do. If he wants to heal somebody, hallelujah. If he wants to save somebody, hallelujah. If he wants to do something to us, praise God. But if he does none of those things, I want to just entertain him and lift him up. Because there's no rival. And I understand it fully well.
Let me surmise, I have the verses that continue after verse 4 in Exodus 3, just to point out some of the things of the character of God. He talks about it being a holy place. Take off your sandals. And then the Lord speaks to him and says, I have, in verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. He's a God that is not confused. He's, he's not unknowing, on. He's not unaware that there are troubles, and even for us today, he's not unaware of your oppression. He's not unaware of your situation. And he says, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I've heard the cry of the bondage that they have been under. I've heard your cry, Fire Church, of some of you feeling the bondage that you've been under. The weight of the things from this world. Maybe even the weight of your own sin. How many of you know credit is a terrible thing? Many that fall into this snare. I'm not condemning anyone this morning, but my goodness, this year, you, you, better, you better be pressing into the Lord if you've got debt today. Because those things are going to continue to skyrocket and you're going to feel the weight of that taskmaster coming down on you as interest rates continue to rise. I'm not trying to promote fear into you this morning. I'm just saying the Lord already made the provision to say, let no man be a slave to any man, to any lender. That we're to be the lender and the not the borrower. <laughs> That's God's heart. That's God's provision. There's, is there wisdom and ways out? Sure. We can talk about that in another setting. But I'm just telling you right now, God prescribes so many things to keep us out of the pit, out of destruction, out of, out of places where we don't experience his presence. But we choose not to draw near or to follow or to obey his commands. It is we that are evil. <laughs> it is we that are operating in evil, I should say. Not him. His character is, I see you, I've heard your cry. And what does he go? I know their sorrows. Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them. My goodness, if that's not the message of the gospel through and through, I have come down to deliver them. Jesus came to make an exclamation point on it. I came down in the flesh to deliver them. That's our God. What an amazing God. And what will I do out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land? Take you out of it? He doesn't want to leave you there and say, oh, man, you made a mess. You might as well just sit in it. That's not the gospel, friends. The gospel is this. To bring them up from that land to a good and a large land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on and talks about all the ites that they'll conquer and all these different things. But nevertheless, the character of God is, I see your affliction. I see your oppression. I see your sorrows. I've heard your cry. I've heard your pleas. If you've wondered if God has heard your prayer this morning, the answer is very simple. It's an emphatic yes. The Lord has heard your cries this morning. You may not have reaped the answer. Or maybe you have. But there hasn't been obedience to what he already told you to do. Take that as you need it this morning. Let me put it this way. God, again, this is the nature and character of God. I hope this is stirring you for passion for him. This is all about promoting passion for his presence, not an experience 
alone, not just saying, hey, let's see the glory cloud in this place, even though, hey, if the glory cloud comes, I'm going to be dancing in it, in it just with the best of you. You understand what I'm saying? When, when, when the Lord begins to speak to young Eli in the night, and he keeps on echoing, and his voice, he's challenging Eli to hear his voice. And he goes to Samuel, and there's this interaction that happens. Did I mix that up? Samuel and Eli, sorry. <laughs> I had it right in my head. My, my mouth just didn't say it right. You understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit, the voice of God, begins to speak. And all of a sudden, the question is, did he call me? Yes, Master, did he call me? Three times he comes. Three times he comes. And then on the third time, they get wise enough. Where both Eli and Samuel come together. This is the voice of God. This is the voice of God that's calling you. Now think about this. God could have chosen after the first or second time when, when, when Samuel didn't spot, respond correctly. say, hey, this is God. I'm talking to you. But he didn't, did he? Why? Because it's not the character of God to do so. The character of God is to produce something inside of your heart so that you know his voice. Jesus echoed it this way, my sheep know my voice. He said it to Moses this way, or allowed it to happen to Moses this way. You're going to have to be in the backside of the desert for 40 years, but then you're going to know how to follow me and obey me. Maybe you've been in any one of these scenarios, these situations. Even right now, you feel like you're in that. The Lord's teaching you and training you for something. But ultimately, it's that you can draw near to him so that he can draw near to you. In Mark 6.48, I see you're still hungry. I won't go much longer. It says in Mark 6, 48, then he saw them straining and rowing. This is the disciples are in the boat. Jesus is not with them at this time. It's getting a little tumultuous. They're having some trouble. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came, down, came to them walking on the sea. And in this version it says, and would have passed them by. Isn't that interesting? Maybe you just passed by that verse. And didn't realize what it just said. His intent. I looked at all the versions to make sure that I understood that this is exactly what it in, was intending to say. He intended to pass them by. But when they called out, he turned to them. It says in verse 49, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. They didn't even know it was him, but they cried out anyway. Again, Moses didn't know it was God in the burning bush, but he turned aside. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. That's the amazing thing that comes. He is a scary God in the sense of how awesome he is, how powerful he is. All that surrounds him, the lightning and the thundering that surrounds him, is quite scary in the natural 
But when he speaks to you and you hear his voice, it is always, do not be afraid, be of good cheer. The God of love is in your presence and in your midst. It's to bring good things to you, joy to you, not harm. Plans that are good and not evil. This is the character of our God. Then he went up into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. They saw yet another miracle as God came in. As they drew simply a little bit close, just crying out. It's like you have a child that tries to run up to you. You know, their step is this big, but my, my gate, is this, gate is this big, right? It's like God, our God, who has the world <laughs> in the outstretched palm of his hands, when he draws near to us, my, oh my, oh my. The goodness of heaven comes in. Maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you haven't sensed that in a really long time. Maybe you felt the bitterness of this world. Maybe every water that you have drunk as of the last seven months has been bitterness, 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 sorrow, pain, anguish, disappointment, disillusionment, you name it. Just frustration after frustration. But the Lord in his mercy today is simply saying, draw near to me. And guess what? I'll draw near to you, holding nothing back. There's no rival, and I am no respecter of persons. You don't deserve it. You'll never deserve it. But guess what? Just like the prodigal son, I come to you with a robe and a ring. A ring and a robe, whatever <laughs> you want to say. I'll give you identity, I'll give you worth, I'll give you significance. It'll be as nothing had ever happened. You have everything. That's the God that we serve. That's the Jesus that we come into relationship with. He's the one that commands us, and rightfully so, to lay down our lives for him. Because he calls us into a beautiful marriage relationship. This God that is jealous, that has no rival, should be able to demand some things from us. Don't you think that even makes rational sense? Okay, my wife's not here, but this morning, guess what? I have a relationship with a lot of you. I can have deep conversations with some more than others because I have a deeper relationship. Some of you call me pastor. Some of you may even call me friend. Some of you may call me mentor. Some of you may, well, we won't get into all the things you call me. But there's one person on this earth that calls me lover. And that is reserved only for my wife. None of you will ever get that term. None of you will ever hear that from me, and none of you will ever say that to me. You understand, there's significance in the covenant of that marriage relationship that is reserved for one. It's God's design. And God desires that relationship with us. That when he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, I'm not just wanting to be a cordial friend with you. I'm wanting a marriage. I'm wanting a covenant relationship. Jesus is the lover of our souls. He loves us with an everlasting love that never ceases. And my goodness, that God, that lover, that, that, that one that is coming back for us, he gives us the imagery so clear in Ephesians and throughout the New Testament, talking about this marriage supper of the Lamb, but also this wedding, also this mystery of Christ in the church. 
guess what? There's only one that you can call Savior, lover, friend. (laughs) Somebody's got to hear me this morning. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Get rid of the double-mindedness. Get rid of the sin. That's what it says uh, following. Is it making sense now? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Not because, oh, you're some kind of fool. No, cleanse your hands because I want to be with you. And like I told Moses, you can't entertain my presence with the sandals on your feet. With the work of human hands. With the sin that's in your life, this is holy ground. I am too set apart. You will burn up and die in my presence. In the establishment of the church, in the book of Acts, we have more of that glory coming into the church. The presence of God was so powerful that as the wind came in and 3,000 were added to the church on that first day, 3,000, right? Not 3,000. They began to devote themselves to each other, the teaching, and all the different things that were going on. But then what continues to happen? The power of God was so strong, and the presence and the glory was so thick. The reverence was so much there among the people that they hallowed this God that was doing things that astounded their minds. Jesus himself was resurrected from the dead. You see the church there. They're a hungry church. And you have, I think it's in chapter 4, where they began to sell lands and give their, their, their proceeds to the church. And then you have somebody else that tries to be a copycat in the same way. Ananias and Sapphira, right? That do the very same thing. They sell their land and they come in and they want to put on a show to say that they're doing the very same thing, giving up everything that they have and giving it, look at us, at how we're reverencing God and, and, and submitting ourselves wholly, completely. You understand what I'm saying? They come into the presence, and because God was so hallowed amongst all of the people, that could not stand. So what happened? They both dropped dead. I'm talking about an awe, I'm talking about a reverence, I'm talking about hallowing Jesus for who he really is, hallowing his presence in such a way, cultivating a relationship with him that you honor it beyond what this natural world looks at marriage and says it's just a contract and it can be broken like that. No, it's a lot deeper than that. I'm going to ask the worship team to help me right now as we draw this to a close. Again, I could say I'd preach all day. (laughs) We can only withstand so much. But may this cultivate an insatiable desire in our hearts to seek after the one, the one our soul loves, the one we were created for. (laughs) Think about some of these things. First Corinthians 12, 2 and 3 says, You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. And not dumb in the sense of foolish. Dumb in the sense of 
even though they were, muted, dumb, deaf, dumb. They could not speak. These dumb idols, however you were led, how were you possibly led by something that couldn't tell you to do a thing? Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to close with, and I want you to stand with me this morning. I've drawn attention many times to Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden. Because there's so much that you can see there in the character of God and his destiny for all of us. Someone in particular really needs to hear just this, this little bit. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God's initial reaction was not judgment. Did he bring judgment? Yes, because he's a just God. But what was his initial response to them sinning? It was a question. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Again, reiterating, God knew exactly where he was, but Adam was the one who didn't know where he was. But let me take it a step further. This was the heart of God on display. He didn't just say, Adam, where are you? Basically, what he could have been saying is, Adam, why don't you want to be with me? Why do you think there's anything else that could be better? Can you hear the heart of God as we're getting into the word? This is, this is the echoes in eternity that I hear. Why would you choose a lesser thing? Why would you choose something that leads to death? I told you specifically, there's two trees. Don't choose that one. You want to choose the lesser thing when all you have to do is just be with me and you reap the, the, the fullness of the other. Why do you not have intimacy with me I believe the Lord is saying, when I have made it so available, close your eyes all across the sanctuary. There's so much more to this. The value that God places on our lives. <laughs> yeah, I got to say it. We need to receive from this. If we purchase something in the natural, it's of good wisdom and of good thought to not pay more than what something is worth, correct? You wouldn't pay $200,000 for a $100,000 home. Some of you wish you could find a $100,000 home right now, and I pray that you do. You wouldn't pay $1,000 for something worth $500. You get the idea. Value is placed upon something in the eyes of the purchaser. And for us, Jesus counted the cost of relationship with us. 
And he thought us valued so highly, God counted us so highly that he sent Jesus to die in our place. What a value. What a God. What character, what hope, what mercy, what life, what extravagance of a God that desires to be intimate with us. Fire Church, be focused on him. Be focused on his presence. Even when I say that term, focused on his presence, I'm not saying go for the goosebumps, go for the goodness of the experience or even the encounter, even though I pray you get it. Focus on him. Focus on being so close to him that you're actually able to experience his presence. 